Now today, we're going to look in the Bible at Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 through 7. I'm entitling the message, Unloading the Burden of Guilt. Unloading the Burden of Guilt. According to many knowledgeable people in the field of behavioral science, tell us that unresolved guilt is the number one cause of mental illness and suicide. We just don't understand the spirit of man and how the spirit of man, when it is shadowed by guilt, begins to deteriorate and bad, bad, bad things happen. If you've ever been in a courtroom and you've seen a trial by jury, and even if the, the final decision is made by the judge, but more dramatic, I think, when there's a jury, and that jury goes into another room and they meet for whatever time it takes to come up with a verdict. The anxiety of those waiting, and most of all, the anxiety of the person on trial begins to really get emotional. Will it be guilty or will the verdict be not guilty? If the verdict is guilty, what will the sentence be? If the verdict is not guilty, what does it mean that I have a second chance and I can have a new beginning to a new life of freedom? And so I want you to keep in mind today as we talk about unloading that burden of guilt that so many have, many in this room have it, many more that are watching have it. There are those that are listening from many, many penitentiaries right now that listen every Sunday by radio to the Sound of Freedom broadcast. And guilt runs rampant there, but it's not just be when you're incarcerated, but it's when you're supposed to be free. And you see, the Bible says you, all of us, can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And the saddest thing in the world is a believer that doesn't live like it. It's a terrible thing when a person has been adopted into the family of God and doesn't know it or doesn't know the privileges that come with that. And so today, I want you to listen to the passage out of Psalm chapter 32. We're still staying in the vein of trying to make sure that week after week, there's hundreds of you that are here today that were not here last week, and that's just the way it, it goes. We're in a very busy time. School's going to start in a couple of weeks. I know the kids didn't want to hear that, but I think it will. And everybody's having their last fling this weekend, that kind of stuff, next weekend. But be that as it will. People come and sit in church Sunday after Sunday. They come in guilty, and they go out guilty. They've never understood what it means to be saved, to be born again, to have a brand new life, and for old things to pass away and everything become new. They don't live in that world. They never have. They felt guilty when they were a little child, and they feel guilty now. And they're in middle life or even older. So I thought it was real interesting to 
in all the scripture that I could use today, I want to read a Psalm of David. Now, you remember King David. You remember some of the traumatic things in his life. And, of course, none more uh, publicized than his having an affair with another man's wife. We saw David struggle, struggle, struggle. And yet God came in a way upon David that he got set free. And I want you to hear the, one of the Psalms that he was able to write after that event. Psalm 32, verse 1. Now, the word blessed means happy is the man. Look it up. It means happy. If you're blessed, then you're happy. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed or happy is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. David says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned unto the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin, verse 5, unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and look at this, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. What a beautiful psalm. What a wonderful praise from a man's man who experienced some very, very traumatic things in his life and yet was able to get rid of the biggest thing that's around the neck of many people, guilt, guilt. For some reason, we take simple scriptures, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's not a person here that is a believer that hadn't had what's called a mountaintop experience. Maybe it's the day you were saved. Maybe it's the day you were baptized. Maybe it was the day that you got married. Maybe it's the day you had your first child or the second one or your first grandchild or your second or third or whatever. Maybe it's when you got that first job. Maybe it's when you got a new job. Maybe when the doctor walked in the room and said, the tests are negative or said, you're free to go. You've been healed. What a day. Goals were reached. Prayers were answered. Good things. While you were just walking around on clouds and everything was just wonderful. Boy, this getting saved is really something, isn't it? No more problems, no more burdens, no more worries. You just go about and, and you just have all the money you need. You always get that negative sound from the doctor and, and your kids are going to live, outlive you 50 years and your grandchildren 50 years beyond them. 
And oh, wonderful, wonder. Oh, it's just glorious to be a Christian. I'm just so happy to be a Christian. Praise the Lord. Glory, glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, you wake up in a real world. You can be a Job, no more righteous than him. One day, he woke up. Family had died. Wealth was gone. His body was diseased. And the list goes on and on. But you know what he said? He said, if you slay me, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going on a guilt trip. Now, the reason a lot of people are feeling so guilty that claim to be Christians is because they are guilty because they've never been set free. Oh, they joined the church, but they never got saved. They never got born again. They never know one thing about what does it mean for Jesus to come into your life. They've even gone to church, and the church has told them, we control your salvation. We will tell you when you're saved, and we will tell you when you're lost. Because we hold the keys to the kingdom, and millions go there. There's no freedom in that. Jesus never gave the keys to the church in the sense that we have the salvation. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And when we live in that world that so many live in, where those that say, well, I know this, I said the prayer. I know this, I was baptized. Have you ever been touched by the grace of God? Have you ever been touched by the love of God? Have you ever had a day in your life when you felt like, you know, I can't believe God saved me because he knows me better than I know myself, and I know enough about myself that I don't deserve to get saved. But I'm saved, saved, saved. We used to sing that song, and that was the, the, the part we liked the most. Saved, saved, saved. We held that last saved a little bit longer. You know, the minister of music would always let us say that last one. In the Bible, saying something three times, that makes it really special. You know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I'm saved, saved, saved. I mean, that just kind of puts an explanation point on it. But whenever things from life turns to death and abundance turns to want, and happiness to grief and life to darkness. We either forgot or we have never heard that Jesus never promised us that it would be easy. What he promised us was, I'll go with you. I will not forsake you. I will defend you against the enemy and I will hold you and Satan will never pluck you out of my hand. We move from joy unspeakable to unbearable situations. And then, to top it all off, comes a humongous weight of guilt. Of guilt. Some folks took their vacation this summer by going on a guilt trip. They just took a week off and stayed miserable <laughs> because things are going so very bad. And you see, it's very difficult, at least it is for me, to always look at things from God's point of view. I like to look at it from my point of view because people are always asking me what I think. They ever ask you that? Well, that makes me feel good. I'm glad that you're going to wisdom. You finally come to know who to ask. 
Well, not really. Because I know there are days when I don't have the answers. I know in whom I have believed, though, and I am persuaded that he's able. But sometimes I don't understand God. Now, now what helps me is I know enough about the Bible that the Bible says his ways, John, are higher than your ways. His thoughts are different from your thoughts. He came, Jesus came, to glorify God, the Father, and that's what we're here for. We just think that if the blessings are coming, then I'm the one getting the blessing. Even though the Bible says it's more blessed to give a blessing than to receive a blessing, you say, I'm willing to stick with the receiving. God bless you folks that think it's more blessed to give, but right now, I'll just take it. I'll just be the taker. And that's one of the real problems that we face today. So difficult to look at life from God's point of view. It's so difficult to see from God's viewpoint and for God's purpose for the world and for you and for me and for our nation and for the world. It's hard, hard, hard to look for that. But one of the sad things is that many forgiven people live like they've never been forgiven. We talk about skeletons in our closet. We go back to high school reunions and we see people and bad thoughts cross the minds of both parties. We, we, we think about a situation at work or a situation in the community when we were certainly less than what God's child should be like. And I guess only God is capable of giving unconditional love. I'm not sure I can give that kind of love. Now, I know God in me can give that, but me in the flesh, I don't think I can do that. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to give to those that are given unto you. It's, good to talk, it's easy to talk good about those that are talking good about you, but what about the opposite of that? Now, God wants to forgive. You got that thought? God wants to forgive. Say that with me. God wants to forgive. Now, say this with me. God wants to forgive me. God wants to forgive me. All right, now let me tell you. The Bible clearly says, if you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and good to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he said. Amen. Now, what do you believe? Well, but I've got a peculiar situation. No, you don't. You're no different from all the rest of us sinners. The reason you are so guilty today, if you're living in guilt, is because you've never, and if you're a child of God, now some of you are living in guilt because you're guilty. Because you've never heard the not guilty from the King of kings and the Lord of lords because you were cleansed and your sins were paid for by the blood of Jesus. But if, if, you come to the Lord and you acknowledge your sin, confess it, repent of it, turn from it. He promises to forgive you. But if you don't come, what then? What happens when you just say, well, I just feel bad about it? That's not forgiveness. You must come to him, ask him, and he will forgive. God's children need to claim what's already a fact. 
Quit begging for it every day. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Now, of course, some of us have got so many, we just we quit naming them. We just kind of sum them up. You know what I'm talking about. Dear God, forgive me of all my many sins. That's when you're a teenager. Middle life, oh, Lord, forgive me of my many, many sins. About the time you get to be a senior adult, you know, Lord, forgive me for my many, 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 many sins. And the teenagers are looking up from the blessing and saying, when are we going to eat? And you quit asking for all that stuff. Grandpa, be quiet. Let's eat. But you know something? When every morning is a new morning and it's fresh every morning and you can get up and say, this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice in it. And I'm going to rejoice by thanking God for sending his only begotten son to die on the cross of Calvary to pay for my sin. Learning what Christ Jesus accomplished at the cross is the most important truth you'll ever discover in your life. And it is that one thing that the overwhelming majority of the churches never talk about anymore. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. The truth will set you free. You can be born again and old things pass away and all things become new. And the Lord has said nothing about life except eternal life to any of his children. Let me ask you a question. Rhetorical, so please. Somebody's asleep beside you. They may want to wake up right now. But what if, what if all of a sudden your name flashed up on this big screen? And when it was flashed up on the big screen, the message read, all of your friends know what you've been doing recently. How easy would it be for you to go back to sleep? <laughs> How quick would it take you to get upset stomach or need to go to the restroom because you've been taking medications recently? How guilty would you feel? I don't think any of us want that, but there's one that knows. Not what we've been doing recently, but what we've been doing forever. But you know what he says? My blood has paid for it, and my grace is sufficient. But get out of your guilt and start serving me. Start wanting to touch the lives of other people. That's what he would say. And I would hope to believe that most of us don't have a whole lot to hide, but I know this. Every time I'm driving and I look into a rearview mirror and I see a policeman, <laughs> my first thought is, what did I do? <laughs> and when they come up fast on me, my heart is beating 20 beats a minute. But when they go around me and stop the guy in front, I'm just saying, let him have it. Let him have it. You know, get with it. You see, we have a tendency to believe that God's going to get us for something. You know, God's going to get you for that. You know, we've had people shake their finger at us and say, God's going to get you for that. The only reason God wants to get you is so he can hold you and love you. 
reason what God wants to get you, you're on, the, you're on the sinking sand. He wants to get you and put you on the solid rock. He wants to wipe your tears away and remember them no more. But you can live in guilt all you want to, but God doesn't want you to, but the devil hopes you'll never have a day that you don't live in guilt. And if you continue to live that way, you'll eventually drift away from all the good things of God. You'll quit giving, you'll quit coming, you'll quit reading the Scripture, you'll quit memorizing the Scripture, you'll quit serving others. You will not be like that. You will just drift out into a life of boredom, and a life of confusion and frustration. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. People are watching. Whenever we don't act like Jesus would have acted if he were in our place, it's not the guilt that you ought to feel. It should be a brokenness. Lord, forgive me. I know not what I'm doing. Lord, I've disappointed you. Now, a lot of times guilt is imagined. Some people feel guilty because they're single. Others feel guilty because they married the wrong person. Some people feel guilty because they have no children. Others feel guilty because they have children and they're not raising them right. They feel like they're bad parents. Some feel like they're guilty because they're sick and they're a burden to other people. People who are well feel guilty because they're ignoring the sick or they are taking their health for granted. There's a big difference about feeling guilty, being convicted, and being forgiven. That's the reason the Bible says we have to confess it. Confess it. I feel guilt. I'm living in guilt. Thought to confess your sin. Acknowledge it. Don't say, well, I don't really feel guilty. I mean, I may feel bad, but I get over it, you know. You can't do that. You have to stop and say, wait, wait. Yes, I have sinned, but I've got a Savior. I know the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. There's no other medicine in capsule or liquid form or injection other than the blood that was shed on Calvary. In America, we say a person is innocent until proven guilty. They were innocent until proven guilty. That's America. The truth, the reality of life is we're guilty until we confess our guilt and turn from our sin and trust him as Savior. Amen. And then we're born again. We're not given a temporary pardon. We're not on probation. We're free. We're free. We're free. We're free. We have so many folks that get into all kinds of problems and then they feel guilty because they can't pay their bills or whatever. I heard about a fellow that was telling another friend, he said, I've got a brand new, very expensive car. He said, my wife and I bought a big house. He said, we've got every kind of technological device known to man. And we take dream vacations every, every summer. 
He said, well, why are you so depressed? He said, because I make $400 a week. You see, when you create the problem, you better have the resources to take care of it. And for the sin problem, the resource is the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. I heard about a person that was talking to another person that's feeling guilty all the time, worried all the time, and always felt bad about himself. And, and this other guy, he says to him, he says, well, you ought to do what I did. And he said, what'd you do? He said, I hired somebody to worry for me. So everybody's looking for a job. He said, well, I just hired somebody to do my worrying. He said, you got to be kidding. He said, how much do you pay them? He said, well, they're pretty expensive. So I pay them $1,000 a week. He said, well, how can you afford that? He said, that's his worry. <laughs> now, don't you like the temperament of that kind of guy? Now, that's not ethical to do, folks. So don't try to hire that kind of person. But I, I think the point is clear. We do all of this kind of stuff. We get burglar alarms for our house and then worry if we turn them on or put battery in them or all that kind of stuff. I mean, we just continue, continue to live in that kind of world. But the message today is truth will set you free. It's mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. If you just, your worrying will not add one cubit to your statue according to the Bible. And we have nerve medication that is in every place where they sell medicines. But the cross and the Word of God have the answer for dealing with guilt. And real quickly, number one, sin is a reality in everybody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men because all of us have sinned. And then in 1 John 1, 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. Yes, we're sinners, but yes, there's a Savior. Yes, our sins are serious and they can even destroy us if there's not an antidote and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. It's God's desire that his children live godly lives and sin not. The reason he wants you to live a godly life because he's got your life planned. He's told you, I quote this all the time for the one person who may have never heard it. God has said, I'll not withhold any good thing from those that love me. God has said, I'll supply your every need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus, not according to the Democrats or the Republican or the Independents. God will supply your need according to his riches and glory. God's grace is sufficient for all people, red, yellow, black, and white, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, Native Americans, or those that immigrated to this country. God's grace is sufficient. His blood cleanses from all sin. He wants you in his family, and he has a plan for your life. But if you don't find that plan, if you belong to God, the most miserable people in the world are God's people that are walking outside of God's will. That's far worse than living for the devil and knowing the Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. That's what the Bible says. Don't tell your sinful friend you're not having a good time. Come and look like me. Bored and mad all the time. Just come look like me because I know Jesus as my Savior. They're having more fun than you are. 
That's the reason our mission statement is we're to be living proof of a loving God to a what? Watching world. Watching world. Watching world. 1 John 2, 1 to 2. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. He don't want us to sin, but look what he says. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. What Jesus did on the cross was take all of the wrath of God and pay the penalty for our sin. The word propitiation is a big word. Let me just tell you in simple words what it means. It means God's not mad at us anymore. If he, if he has adopted us into his family, he's not mad at us, but he's broken when he sees his children wanting to live the old life. You can't do it. You cannot do it. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but for the, for the believer, there's not even pleasure in sin, period. There is always, always, always that agonizing thing in the background that we forget. And as Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, his righteousness for the remission of our sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. You know what all that means? Let me put it in one simple sentence. Everybody's going to stand before God one day. When my name is called and your name is called, if you are a believer, Jesus will step forth and he will represent us. Why should I let this man in? Father, my blood has paid. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Enter now. That's what he will say. But it's not because of us. God took care of my sin and your sin at Calvary. As I close, listen to this. Sin is a reality, yes. It's not God's desire to, for his children to live in sin. He wants to set us free. But what Christ did on the cross, he took our wrath. And his, I mean, the anger of God, was brought out on him, but God has taken care of it. Now, here's what I want you to go home with. God does not punish his children. He disciplines his children. You say, what's the difference? Go home and get out your dictionary. Could I read to you what Webster says about two words, punishment and discipline? The word punishment, Webster, to afflict with pain, suffering, to deal with roughly, harshly, greedily, and to inflict injuries. That's punishment. Let me t read you discipline. Discipline is training which corrects, molds, strengthens, and perfects. You see the difference? Does God just want to beat up on you? No. But does he want to train you, correct you, 
mold you, strengthen you, perfect you, you bet. You bet. And the harder you are, the difficult, more difficult it is to bend you, to mold you, to shape you. And sometimes the wrath and the fires of this world have to kind of melt us and soften us to where we realize we're not as smart as we think we are. Neither are we away from God like we think we are. But God is wanting to mold us and make us into his image. Listen to the Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 as we close. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? You see, when a parent loves their children, they discipline them not punish them. But don't forget, if you're a believer, you're God's child. Never forget what that means. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. All of us have a weakness, and Satan knows exactly what it is. If you don't want Satan after you, don't let him know where your goat's tied, you know? Come to the point to where he doesn't know how to attack you. If, if you've got a temper, he knows to get you there. If you have a tendency to be immoral, he knows how to there. If he knows that you're, you mouth off and you say things you don't mean and use it, he knows. But whenever you get to that point, as 1 John says again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the guilt moves out. The issue is not, will God forgive? The issue is, will you confess? That's sin of guilt. If you will confess, he will set you free. You say, but you don't know what I've done since I became a Christian. Let me, let me ask that question this way, and I am through. Here's the question. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, when that happened, how many of your sins were in the future from that day 2,000 years ago? The answer to that is all of them. All of them. You understand the point of my clothes? I don't know what you're wrestling with, but the blood of Jesus 2,000 years took care of that sin because Every sin you ever committed and every sin I ever committed and every sin any person on this planet ever committed took place after the price was paid and the pardon came because the blood of Christ cleansed from all sin, past, present, and future. And so today you can be free and go and serve the Lord or you can go out of here just like you came in, guilty, wrapped up, mad, angry, hate God, hate the kids, hate the former mate, hate your friend, hate school, and on and on you can go, but the whole time you'll be in bondage. Amen. You know when the devil's going to quit leaving you alone? When he knows you're going to run to the Father when he shows up. Right. Period. 
Don't get out of the Bible. You want to argue that? Let me go, 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 get out of the Bible. Let's, come on, let's get out of here. Well, let's just fight it out, you know. Let's get out here behind the service. That's, that's the way he used to do when I went to Jackson Junior High School. Every afternoon, two guys go out behind the Gulf Station over there on, on Jackson and Shaver Street. Man, they'd have it out. All the girls go, yeah, and it lasts about 30 seconds. They'd love each other and go home. And, uh, and that's what we do today, folks. We just want to get in a fight with the devil every day. Don't get in a fight with the devil. You can't beat him. Just say, I've got a little problem. I need to go to the prayer room. God, go get him. And I'm going to go pray for you. And you know what? When they come up, you're going to know who won. God won because you're free. But go and sin no more.